Most of us think that meetings are the things that happen in between all the real work that needs to be done and view them as an evil necessity. But like it or not, for many of us, meetings define the culture of where we work. They're often the only way we have to raise issues, make decisions or even clap eyes on our colleagues. So why are they so bad and so hard to get right? I have a sneaking suspicion that it's because they're run by humans with buttons and triggers and conflicting ideas and priorities, just like any other gathering of humans. So why do we put so little thought into doing them right? Particularly when some of us spend so much time in meetings and some of the decisions we make in meetings are quite literally life or death. Like anything, I think that with a bit of thought, planning and understanding, you can transform your meetings from bad and boring to helpful and, dare I even say, interesting. In this episode, I'm chatting with Dr. Carrie Goucher, who has a PhD in meetings. She's worked out some fundamental principles and hacks and has created the Fewer, Faster, Bolder system, which can transform your meetings. Since this episode, I've started to use her meetings capture canvas in my meetings, which has made it so much easier to record and share discussions, decisions and actions. And if you're thinking that because you don't currently chair any meetings that this episode isn't for you, then think again. There's stuff we can all do to make meetings better, even if you're not the boss. So listen to this episode to find out the basics which must be present in any meeting from the get go how to disagree with other people in meetings without wrecking the relationship and some astonishingly simple and practical actions you can take immediately to make your meetings shorter, more productive and just better. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals in high stress, high stakes jobs. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, trainer and speaker. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us don't notice how bad the stress and exhaustion have become until it's too late. But you are not a frog. Burning out or getting out are not your only options. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work so that you can beat stress and work happier. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. It's wonderful to have with me on the podcast today, Dr. Carrie Gouch. Now, Carrie is a business culture practitioner and she has done a PhD and is a specialist in meetings and meetings culture. She is the creator of Fewer, Faster, Bolder. That is an approach and some techniques for transforming how meetings are led. So welcome, Carrie. Lovely to be here, Rachel. Now, I wanted Carrie to come on the podcast because meetings are something that... I don't think we do very well in healthcare. I'm not sure anyone does them very well, Carrie. What do you think? No, they are, they're mostly mediocre at best. There are some great meetings, but for most people, their meeting experience is net negative. Yeah. So, you know, you have really dug deep into meetings and how to make a better meeting. What led you to that in the first place? My work has always been about helping people and companies collaborate better. So things like, um, culture, relationships, ways of working, building an adult to adult culture. But for many of those companies, the sticking point was meetings. So I remember somebody saying to me very, very clearly, if you're going to change our culture, you have to start with our meetings. Um, And I loved working with companies on things like design thinking and agile and lean and coaching and all all sorts of things that we now know help organizations um, work brilliantly but I couldn't understand why all that evaporated when it came to meetings except for a few handful of really good companies and I'm not a very patient person myself so I found sitting in um, meetings pretty boring and frustrating as well Um, and I got so interested in meetings as a place where 
really important things happen or don't happen in companies that I ended up doing a PhD in it. And then when I read the 300 or so papers written exclusively about meetings, I couldn't understand why the, the research that had been done so far seemed to me to be about tick box exercises they did was there an agenda did it start on time um etc and we know so much more about the human psyche at work um and about behavior and um what makes people trust each other and what helps us make progress on things and get clear so i i used my phd research and everything we now know about culture and leadership to try and address that um in organizations and that's how i landed where I am now. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. So everything was just looking at like, is there agenda? Does it start on time? Like, that's a really low hanging fruit, right? That's the thing that everyone thinks, well, that's pretty obvious that that, that should be there. Yeah. They're, and they're hygiene factors. So it's not that they're not important, but on their own, they are not enough to ensure that we have a a powerful productive meeting there are so many forces at work from power and hierarchy to tribal forces so where we want to look useful in the tribe we want to stay safe and um, you know hundreds of thousands of years ago that would have been a matter of life or death whether we were safe in our tribe or whether we had to go and fight tigers on our own now <laughs> um it's not a matter of life or death, but nevertheless, we want to stay psychologically safe. We, we want to keep our job. But more than that, we want to be somebody who is high value to our place of work. No, we never want to look like we're not doing enough <laughs> or that we didn't think of something. We asked a stupid question or we weren't on it. So there are so many forces at work and just simple hygiene factors. While they're so, it's so tempting to say if we just kind of really double down on those and and are really disciplined and always have an agenda, it's just not quite enough. But we can now understand what is enough and what simple sort of uh, sometimes quite annoyingly simple things are enough to trigger really helpful behaviour and helpful conversations. So, Carrie, very quickly, just list for me, what are those hygiene factors that really are the no-brainers that just really should be there to make a meeting effective that we can get out of the way now and just go, right, if you're not doing those, then at least do that, right? Yeah, yeah. So they would be things like starting promptly and finishing on time. It's a basic, basic thing, which means that people's time is respected. So clearly in um, medicine and clinical work, like everywhere else, things happen to diaries. But broadly speaking, um, if you're late, say, I'm very sorry, <laughs> please carry on. <laughs> and if you're running the meeting, then finish on time so that you're not leaving people with um, an, an overhang to deal with. Have a clear plan of what you're going to talk about. I would recommend a session plan, not an agenda. The main thing being, where are we trying to get to today? So particularly meetings where we we have one every week or every month, these sort of standing meetings that rotate around. We kind of forget what they're there for. Um, and there's something about meetings that's quite resistant to change. So it's not that easy to stick your hand up in a meeting and say, hang on a minute, why are we here again <laughs> in a PCN meeting or something like that? Um, however, some group reflection on what is the most useful um, use of our time in these sessions as a group is a really good start. And that can form the basis of what some people would call an agenda I would prefer to call a session plan uh, which is the these are the things we're trying to achieve while we're here so those would be the three three really basic ones another one that people add quite a lot is make sure everybody speaks now I think it's a lot more complex than that but that's a really good start did everybody have the chance to say what they thought and if they didn't <laughs> it's a question you can ask at the at the end before you close the meeting, you can say, does everybody feel they got the chance to say what they wanted to say? And that's a sort of checkpoint for you and for others. So that all those things will be a great starting point. Great. So those are the hygiene factors that if they are all present, that will mean that people don't get really irritated and, and et cetera, but they exactly. don't necessarily make the meeting absolutely brilliantly fantastic. Exactly. Right. So I'm really interested, Kay, when you were doing your PhD, and, and I was going to say, I'm not going to ask you to sum up your three years of PhD in five minutes, but actually I am. <laughs> what was the one thing that you were really interested in and, and what did this lead you to finding? I was interested in understanding if we looked beyond some of these hygiene factors, 
and we took more of a systems approach, what would we find? There are some particularly excellent academic books written about um, meetings, but mostly the studies that have been done um, were dominated by asking people, what meeting did you go to at last? And were you satisfied with the process? And were you satisfied with the outcome? And then listing a number of factors that people had to say if they were present or not, or to what extent they were present, including all these hygiene factors. And I felt if you only ask about those factors, you'll only hear which one of those are important. And I wanted to flip it on its head um, and take a much more inductive approach and say, if we ask people to talk about their experience of meetings and what happened before and what happened after and to link them to other things, clearly meetings are, are just part of other things. We don't have meetings uh, other than to, to achieve something. If if we're not trying to achieve anything, it's a pure social and that is slightly different. That's not to say meetings don't include a bonding and connecting element. They absolutely do. But pure bonding, that's social, that's different. So I was keen to understand if those things we're trying to achieve in the meeting to serve a purpose outside of the meeting, how did all that connect together? And I learned some really interesting things. So my research findings indicated that absolutely meetings are a systems problem. So not something you can just fix between 10 and 11 a.m. while you're actually running the meeting. Um, so we need to understand a little bit more about what's going on around them. But um, there are also various stages that we need to go to that go through that start before the meeting and finish after it. So for example, um, my results show that there's a big piece of stuff that happens before a meeting, which is around social contracting. Clearly in a contract contract, everything's written down and we sign at the end of it. And in a social contract, um, nothing's written down, but we hold it as an expectation. So where people have different expectations about what a meeting's supposed to be about, how it's supposed to be run, what we're supposed to get out of it, what our roles are going to be, that's actually quite harmful in the meeting itself. So a really simple way to clear that up <laughs> is to um, share an agenda beforehand or share a session plan um, in an invitation and also to ask people uh, what they want to get out of that session. So that that process of getting clarity and engaging people beforehand, which can be as simple as an email or a very quick conversation, that makes a huge difference to what happens in the meeting. That's what my research shows. My research also showed that there are two sides to running a meeting. One is facilitation. So how do you, with your words and your body language, uh, keep the meeting progressing towards its goal and keep engaging people and keep involving people and getting the best out of everybody there? And the second part is how do you use some light structures? So how do you put some scaffolding in place that gives people a few simple rules either for all of the meeting or part of the meeting that again frees people to contribute better so in many many aspects of life where we want frankness focus um maybe even a bit a bit of fun dare I say it with our colleagues flow all of those things work best often with a clear understanding of what the rules of the game are when we're in a group interaction. So football is one example. Um, there are many others. And in a meeting, it is helpful to have a few little structures in place so people, rather than a total free for all, where actually what happens is power and hierarchy dominate. I, I love that concept because you're you're absolutely right. If if no one knows when they're expected to speak or or anything like that, then yeah, you will just get the most dominant people. Or you'll get the you'll get the extroverts. I'm an extrovert and I find silence really uncomfortable. So if there's a silence in the meeting, I'm sitting there on my hands going, don't butt in, don't butt in, don't butt in. Whereas Often people do need that silence to jump in. But if you know that you're going round and everyone has going to have a chance to say, then that's great, isn't it? Then then people don't have to worry about butting in or being dominant or being too quiet or, or whatever, I think. And that's a well-known technique. I'm just thinking for when we teach about group facilitation, you know, small group facilitation and teaching. If you've got a really noisy student, you'll uh, you'll then go round so that they take their turns with everybody else, you know. So there always are a few people in the meeting you know that you'd really like to hear from, but they they don't speak up. In your research, did you find any specific structures that really does help people to, to speak up? 
I think there are there are a few options. Um, the one you mentioned earlier about rounds is a really helpful one. So that just clarifies and speeds up the process of turn taking, and it gives everybody an equal slot. So a round works really well when you ask a question uh, or give people a couple of questions to answer and some kind of indication of um, concision. It could be in two words, (laughs) please share dot dot dot, or it could be um, in one minute or whatever it is that or or we're going we're going to um, go go around everybody and um, this stage will take 10 minutes where well, people will have a little look at the clock and look at the number of people around and do a little bit of mental arithmetic and come up with their own conclusion. So it's up to you how formal or informal you make that, but it does give everybody the opportunity to speak and it gives them a little bit of preparation time, particularly if you tell people the order in advance so people know that, okay, I'm going to be third. So certainly that's that's a great technique. Those questions can be, they can be sharing data so you might have a number of people who have um, a number, for example, I don't know whether that could be um, missed appointments or um, a, a patient metric or any, anything else that is material to the meeting. That's a really good way to get some of the, that data right at the start. It could be something that asks people just to share a bit of the world they're bringing into the meeting so you could ask people what their workload is and you know in in two words give me your workload in a temperature (laughs) so I'm on a rolling boil um tepid um yeah hair on fire so it's an opportunity to people just to bring a bit of where they're at a bit of humanity in through the door or it could be just pure fun and I used to not do the fun I used to plan the fun ones and not do them because I'd get there and think, oh, everyone's too serious. They do, they won't want to do it. <laughs> um, and I stopped doing it at one meeting and it was full of engineers. And they said, hang on a minute. Where's our question about animals? <laughs> Where's the fun bit? The okay, fun bit? Give, us, give us three fun things that you've done, Kerry. So a nice one is if you're on a video meeting, hand on heart. Are you wearing pajamas right now? LB <laughs> one, uh, good Cambridgey one. How many miles have you cycled this week? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there was another one in that particular organisation about uh, cake. You've got to be brave <laughs> to go for the really fun ones. But I think if you can think of something that, and, and you can count just as a bit of an experiment and say, just for today, we're just going to try something different. It's been a long day. We've got loads to do tonight. Let's just take one minute to dot 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 and if you feel there's something that people are ready for that with a bit of humor they will accept then you will be amazed at how that can change the dynamic and the other thing that happens when we do this early equal contribution so rounds are really good for starting meetings um, is we're modeling how we want the rest of that meeting to go So we're modelling and demonstrating that everybody's view and data and insights are important and we are providing a template for the kind of interaction that we want, uh, which is concise, succinct, uh, equal, involves quite a bit of listening to others. So it's a a nice technique to use. Um, Another technique is to invite people to consider a question and to write down their thoughts on it. So to give them some time to work, we call it alone together so that they can gather their thoughts, um, reflect, even if it's only for a couple of minutes, and then have a chance to share what they think having had enough time to consider it so some people love shooting from the hip and that's how they think they go to meetings and suddenly all these amazing things come out of their brain that even they haven't thought of before and if it wasn't for the meeting they couldn't have produced that that content in inverted commas but for a lot of people um that's not how they work and it's it can almost be quite shaming to be asked to contribute immediately to something um in a meeting if it's unrealistic to get people to prepare something before or to think about something before then give them a bit of time in the meeting to write that down could be a couple of minutes now clearly if you can give people something to consider beforehand that's great so if you've got a a weekly 
um, practice meeting, you might say, okay, for next week, could you have a think about X? Come ready to talk about Y. Um, Give them a little reminder midweek somehow. And then at the start of the next session, you might want to give them one minute to think about it just in case they haven't already. And that's all these things are much more neuro-inclusive as well. So we know that neurodiversity is, a, is far more prevalent than we ever realised. There will be people in your team who are neurodiverse and there will be people who are probably neurodiverse, but they don't realise it yet. They've had no kind of diagnosis. Um, so doing things that allow, that give people really a good briefing Um, clarity on what you're asking them to do and a bit of time to do it in their own space that's really worthwhile um, and allows far more people to contribute and to provide a more valuable contribution I get it you're pushed for time and with over 200 episodes how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. That's really interesting. I think really, really important. And I, I, I have used techniques in, in my teaching and training where people talk in pairs first and then and then contribute. But actually, I think that writing down is almost even better because even in pairs, you then say, right, can you feedback? And it's always the most dominant one in the pair that feeds back, right? Not the, not the quiet one. But I love that writing down and, and not only he- helps with, you know, neurodivergence, but it also helps with hierarchy. And the problem with our meetings, I think, in healthcare is that there's a lot of hierarchy, no matter how much the doctors think, there's no hierarchy here. We're all, you know, good friends. I think it is still felt particularly by the newer, younger, more junior members of the team. They really, really, really feel it. And so that will massively help with that as well, right? Absolutely. I guess if if hierarchy is part of the issue, and clearly it is human nature to show deference to people with higher qualifications than us, it just is. And usually meetings are run by people with higher higher inverted commas qualifications. So the responsibility is on those people to really demonstrate that they do value everybody's opinion and to to modify their own behaviour to validate, encourage, appreciate other people's contribution. So if you're in a highly technical role, it's easy to see what's technically wrong with what somebody else has said whether it's a clinical point or something different, you know, that's, that's part of what, what your job is to, um, to pick up detail and to kind of pick up things that are not right or unsafe. Um, but it can make people very reticent to contribute. And actually you only need to do that once or twice for that to be, to be remembered. So, um, I remember I had a colleague, very senior colleague in the first organization I ever worked in, and he was a very exacting person. But I remember saying to him, you've never, ever said anything critical to me you've, or you've never framed anything from a critical point of view or made me feel criticised or I have never felt criticised in your presence. Why is that? Because I said, clearly you have very high standards. And he said, it just breaks the relationship. It doesn't mean I can't address things that matter to me and we can't improve things. But as soon as I frame something as a criticism or very quickly off the mark, um, tell somebody why their point isn't right, it just whacks a great block off that relationship. And that will take me another six min- months to rebuild that. And I need good relationships to do my work well. And that stayed with me, stayed with me for the last 22 years. It's a really hard discipline. Um, but the thing about meetings is there's an audience. So whilst you might just about be able to kind of restore that relationship one-to-one if something's said, it's much harder in a group because three other people or 10 other people have witnessed somebody criticising. So we, so it might be interesting to talk about, okay, so how do you raise things that are important without criticising? <laughs> yeah, that, that's such a fascinating comment, Carrie. I do remember having another conversation with someone about meetings and she was a very senior leader in healthcare. And she said, 
in meetings, she just shuts up and she always tries to speak last because she knows the minute she speaks with her opinion, no one else will will give their opinion because she's the most senior in the room and boom, she knows that will just shut everyone down. And that has really got me thinking, particularly your thing about criticising because one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is how do you tell people what they don't want to hear and how do you how do you disagree with people well and I completely take your point but now we're in a quandary aren't we what if you are discussing a really thorny subject in a meeting and you really do disagree or someone is blatantly wrong what 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 do you do without like you said knocking a chunk off that relationship yeah yeah so there are two types of conflict um we want one we don't want the other So there is task conflict. We want this. We want people to disagree about the task. And it is crucial that we do that from a fundamental point of view to keep patients safe. It's also crucial we do that um, so that we improve how we work, so that we get the best out of our resources. Where smart people disagree about something, that's where magic happens. We want task conflict. Um, conflict. What we don't want is relationship conflict. Relationship conflict is we're no longer debating the task. The implication is the person is wrong. The person hasn't done enough. The person is inexperienced or wrong or difficult or bad or something negative. And the problem is that the two end up blurring together and what we end up is in a situation where we have lots of false positivity so for example 10 people share um, an idea each Um, clearly some are better than others Um, and to avoid any kind of conflict somebody says okay great well that's 10 brilliant ideas let's go away and do them lovely let's put we'll put some some effort behind all of them great and everyone's like hang on a minute that's that's madness (laughs) and we can end up in this sort of um area of friendliness and rapport where it's not okay to say anything that doesn't sound like oh brilliant thank you so much that's absolutely brilliant and then you never really know you know that that's not what people are really thinking so all the kind of um, important stuff is hidden and that doesn't help either that doesn't build trust that's that's rapport over relationship um so the answer is to get really good at separating those out over time you can speak much more directly about the task and the trust based is sufficient that you don't have to you don't have to qualify anything or say anything too carefully but at the start it can really help to use a little framework called VAB so validate appreciate boundary you can apply this to lots of different things including how you handle if somebody's talking a lot in a meeting so the validate part is you express the fact that you understand what they're talking about. So it's almost like a playback. So it sounds like you dot, 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 dot. So it's a clarification piece and it's a kind of, okay, got it, heard you. The second part is appreciate. So you are valuing the contribution and the fact that it's enriching the conversation even if you're not going to agree with it. So to appreciate, you might say, and I can really see why that is seems important or that, or for you that is important, or, um, and I really appreciate you bringing that to our attention or bringing that to the group, or everybody's ideas are valuable because it gives us more things to choose from, or it's really helpful to understand different perspectives. So thank you for that. And then the boundary part is where you can bring it back to the task. So if it was somebody talking a lot, you could say, and so it sounds like you're talking about this. I'm really glad you're bringing that to our attention. Today, we need to focus on X. And mostly people will say, fair play. If you were to play that video of that interaction to 100 people, how many of them would say, oh, that was very critical? (laughs) Probably not many. So it doesn't mean nobody will ever feel criticised ever again, but it's a very reasonable, balanced approach to take. And over time, it will rebalance the ability to talk about things that matter without people feeling criticised. So we're trying to keep the conversation around the task 
around the evidence, about around the outcome. Now, there's one word I didn't use at the start of every boundary. I wonder if you might have spotted it. So when I say, and today we're going to focus on dot, dot, dot. Yes, it's but. Yeah. But, but. I didn't use but, and it's really difficult not to use but. And I do forgive the odd but, but if you can possibly say and, it's more powerful. How do you find the but and? (laughs) It's interesting, Carrie. I was speaking to a colleague the other day and everything I said, she agreed with, but she started her response to me with, yes, but I think this, and then would sort of agree. And it started to really get on my nerves. And I thought, why is she doing this? Is she just trying to exert authority or or show that she knows as well or something? It was really odd. And I just found it really irritating. And it reminded me of the recent Alan Partridge show. Now, you're an Alan Partridge fan, right? Of course, I live in Norfolk. So he's interviewing a reporter on his TV show and he goes, so don't you think that childhood poverty is because of this? And she'll go, no, Alan, actually, it's not. And she'd say, but, and then his, <laughs> Alan's sidekick would say, yes, well, don't you think it's because of this? And she'd go, yes, and, and then whatever Alan says, she goes, yes, but, and then whatever the other woman said, it's yes, and, and me and my other half, we, we laugh about this all the time. It's got us very in tune to the yes, buts. Even if you're agreeing with someone, some people see, seem to want to assert their authority or assert the fact that they know stuff by saying yes, but. Even if they're sort of agreeing, it's a very old thing. So it's not even the disagreeing that people say, but sorry, that's just my little hobby horse side note. So yes, but is a flag placing, ground claiming statement. For many people, it's just almost a, it's a verbal tick. It's just a habit, something we say a bit like sort of, or a bit like. (laughs) Um, It's something we say habitually. Its impact is significant. It is can invalidate everything you said before you're really saying I mean I like you and everything (laughs) but but, (laughs) I'm not being funny or anything but but (laughs) or with respect respect. yes (laughs) we have all these things that we we use to then we're kind of saying the bit you really need to listen to is what I'm going to say next there is a place where yes but is very helpful I use it as another structure so if I'm presenting something, and actually when I'm teaching and coaching Fewer Faster Boulder, one of the things I do is say, if I'm in, in real life, I say there's a flip chart at the back and it's got a big um, yes but at the top and you've all got post-it notes. And every time we talk about something and you think, yes, but that's never going to work in my organisation or yes, but what about dot, 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 write it on that post-it note. Um, If it's not burning and you want to talk about it later, write it on the post-it note, put it at the back of the room. If we have a uh, a video meeting, then it goes in the chat. And actually, you can just informally say to people, I'm going to share dot, 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 dot on this. And every time I say something and you think, yes, but dot, 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 write that down. (laughs) And at the end, let's talk about all of those. Because what you're doing is giving people a place for that, um, that energy, that thought, you're giving it a constructive place to go rather than them running two parallel sequences in their brain. So they've got the thing where they're listening to you and trying to kind of understand the thing they're being told and the other part that's saying, yeah, but this is irrelevant or this is, this is not helpful. And you're acknowledging the importance of their internal thought processes and using that for the benefit of the group later. So a really easy thing to do and a great use of the butt. You can also, and I've seen it done where, you present an idea and you say, right, we're going to go around and everyone's going to tell me one reason why this idea isn't going to work, which could be quite, quite helpful. Like, so everyone has to pick holes in your, in your idea, even if they love your idea, which means that the people who really hate your idea feel in good company, as it were, and then feel more apt to sharing. Absolutely. So another really nice structure. And you can see how you can get quite creative and playful in a serious way. So by asking everybody to critique your idea in turn, you're also saying it's really important that we critique ideas and it's absolutely normal and expected to do that. So you can use these structures to model what you want people to do more organically um, in the rest of the meeting. Mm. So we we talked a lot about sort of getting some structures so that everybody can talk so that they're not feeling criticized so they will they will speak up um what else did you find in your research really really makes a difference to how effective meetings are and how people feel about meetings and the organization in which they work so there are lots of things we can say to help meetings progress 
rather than just saying, shall we stick to the agenda? (laughs) Let's get back to the agenda. (laughs) So um, assuming we've written a really good session plan, which might include what the purpose is, what we're trying to get out of it, a couple of questions the meeting needs to answer, a list of any decisions that need to be made, um, plus a bit of expectation around what you want people to do. So so it, it would be most helpful if everybody comes ready to dot, dot, dot. It would be really helpful if you are um, happy to speak frankly about your experiences of dot, dot, dot. So assuming you've got that in place, you've then got a platform from which you can... Um, Return. So you can say, okay, the the questions we were asking ourselves in this meeting are A, B, and C. Where are we at with those questions? Or the decisions that we said we'd make these these two decisions. Um, where have we got to? Have we have we got inf- enough information? Um, and you can start to gather. What often happens is it's not as simple as that. So it's not like, oh yes, we have made that decision. Great, let's write that down. Normally there are some things we agree on some things we don't we don't feel right we've really got to the bottom of it there's some people we haven't really heard from so a nice way to handle that is to do a round so we need to make this this decision could you um summarize where you've got to so whether you need a bit more information or whether you're leaning one way or the other and you can gather the threads in other ways so you can start to to collate verbally or you can write it down but you can even just verbally collate what's happened so far So you might say, "Okay, these are the things I think we're clear on. And these are the things I think we haven't yet got clarity on. And that will stimulate people to say, oh, actually, I think we are clear on that. Brilliant. Let's add that to the we're clear on side. So you're you're prompting people to then um, take the next step towards your purpose. You can gather some other threads as well. You could say, "Okay, so I think this is what we know so far but it's clear that what we don't know is a b and c again you're just stimulating people to say oh well i could find that out by dot 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 or do we really need to know that no okay you might say these it sounds like these are the things we agree on and these are the things we don't yet agree on well these are the things we've done so far these are the things still to do so you're kind of verbally organizing the material that's been shared in the meeting so far very very simple easy neutral way to do it. You can also ask a question. So you can say, we have X minutes remaining, or we're halfway through. What is the best, given what we've achieved so far, what is the best possible use of our time if we want to get to Z by the end of this session? So you pose it back to the group. You can also make suggestions. And these are things you can do whether or not you're leading the meeting. You can make suggestions. Would it help if we went around individually and just got a very quick three word (laughs) uh, indication from people on where they sit on this or what they think we should do next? So those are some of the things you can do in the meeting to move it forward with authority, but without being authoritarian, without unilaterally making a decision and saying, well, it sounds like we've decided this, so let's move on. And then the last part is about how do we how do we capture what has come out of that meeting? So it might be that you produce quite a lot of documentation at the moment, or it might be that the problem is you don't produce any documentation at all and no one's no one's very clear. And I tend to find people either have way too much and it's too formal um, and no one reads it, or it's there's not enough and everybody leaves with a different idea. And by the time you get to the next meeting, well, no one's got a clue. And I like to do something in between. So my research points to using a shared canvas. So a shared document, whether that's on screen, on a flip chart, a Google Doc, or even a document that you're writing on, but in a big enough pen and in a big enough writing that other people around the table can see it. You know, nothing needs to be high tech here. Um, What you're doing is saying we're not taking not only taking our own individual notes, we are trying to um, produce a piece of work together that we've agreed. Um, and what I would put on that are four categories. So I do have a, a um, format, a template for this, uh, which I'll give you a link to um, if that's helpful. Um, but you can just draw it yourself. So so take a piece of paper, um, put 
draw a line down the middle, draw a line across the middle, four quadrants. Uh, what have we decided? So what decisions have we made today? That's often a thing that we don't put into our documentation. We talk, we, we say what we talked about, we say what the actions are, but we don't say what were the decisions. And actually, it's really useful for other people who weren't in the meeting to see what those decisions were. And if you're anything like me, you forget that you decided something. So it is, it's a really simple, helpful thing to capture. Um, what next? So that's a bit more than actions, which can be very tactical. Um, but what needs to happen next and who is responsible for that? Next quadrant, who do we need to communicate this with? So who do we need to share this document with? Who do we need to tell or involve in those decisions that we've made? And the final quadrant is a car park. So what came up that is for another meeting? It's important, um, but it's not for, it wasn't for today. And running a car park is a really useful discipline because it allows you to say people, to people in a meeting, that sounds really important. Today is about X, so let's put it in the car park without that being a, a, a something where you're just um, uh, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get people to, to shut up about something they're talking about. If you genuinely use your car park and unpark the cars and get them back on the road again in the next meeting, then people will be happy to put it um, in the car park because they know it will be well treated and it will come back out again. Those would be the simplest, most annoyingly logical and obvious things that don't take any more time, that don't need any more money, that don't need any technology, um, but that make that my research show make a really fundamental impact to people's clarity, their commitment, and the level of action they take afterwards. Well, and you're right, it's really fundamental, really simple, but we just don't do it. You're absolutely right. We just don't do it. And I think even if if, if everyone next time had a meeting just did that full quadrant thing, I think it would be really, really powerful. The other thing I've got in my head, Carrie, is that in, in healthcare, we often got very difficult meetings because they're very time limited, even though you know you probably need a three-hour meeting to discuss some of these issues. You've got an hour and then maybe people turn up half an hour late because they've got their surgeries going on etc etc and we try and fit so much stuff Mm. in like there's all this information no one's ever read it beforehand then there's like 10 different decisions that need to be made we might even try and force a palliative care or vulnerable adult meeting that you've got to do every month to review your list in there as well and you get other people coming in I mean what is your advice around managing that sort of like smorgasbord of oh my gosh we've got to do everything in this partnership meeting or this whole practice meeting that we have once a month and we're just never going to get to it so I think break it into chunks and use the time limits as a creative constraint so if we need to make these decisions, what structure can we use to speed that up? So can we um, make the way we share the information about it more precise and concise so that doesn't take 10 minutes? Can we put a little structure around how we discuss it? So quickly listing out the pros and the cons or the um, decision-making criteria or whatever it is. Can we get smart about that? And then um, can we use some kind of um, dot voting technique or um, or something to kind of speed up that decision making process. The other thing you can do is use a third party timer. So put the stopwatch on your phone and some kind of fun ring at the end of it. So rather than you as the facilitator constantly saying, oh, we've got two minutes left or oh, three minutes left, actually the phone beeps when the time's up. When the phone beeps, okay, at this point now we need to make a decision or say we don't have enough information, we need to come back to it. And then finally, break up the chunks. So if you're asking people to context switch a lot, so from some decision-making, which is about how the clinic is run um, or something to do with the practice strategy, I don't know, these really big meaty issues, and then to flip across into something that's very clinical, discussing a patient caseload or something, then give people um, a five-minute break or do do something in that five minutes that allows people to have a bit of a reset and then bring them back into the new phase almost as if it's a new new meeting. So kind of frame people up for that next phase so it feels different. 
Um, those are the kinds of things you might consider. I think that's really interesting. And I have heard that about time as a creative constraint before. You're right. You actually focus more, don't you? If you know you've got five minutes to talk about decision as opposed to five hours, then you really focus on the, the important bits about it, don't you? One thing that strikes me is we... I think in healthcare often spend a lot of time giving information out in meetings, which is actually really boring and doesn't need to be done in the meeting. But I think people do it because they think, well, if I don't do it in the meeting, I can't guarantee that people are going to read it or get this information. I do know one department that during COVID actually released a podcast to keep everybody updated. Now that sounds dreadfully difficult. Oh gosh, we have to record a podcast, but literally it is as simple as recording a voice note into your phone and then sending that around. And then people can just listen to it on their way home, et cetera, et cetera. But how would you suggest people share information in ways that people will engage with and listen to, but not necessarily in a meeting? Or am I asking an almost impossible question? No, it's a great it's a great question. So the first thing is to give people choices. So some people will lap up a podcast that will perfectly suit them as they drive back from the school run or something like that. Other people um, will skim a well-signposted newsletter, so an email, and to give people a, a few different options. Other people like group type chat. Um, I mean, the simplest form of a podcast is, a, as you say, a voice note in a WhatsApp group. <laughs> um, and for a lot of people, recording a voice note is a way to convey something that's hard to put into a an email without writing a lot of words to get tone across. I think another thing that's helpful is some kind of written format that's in a similar structure every week or every month, whatever it is. So you get good at picking up the data from that. So that could be an email with four really, really clear sections with great headers. Um, the Without getting too much into the detail of in, internal comms and copywriting technique, headings headings are what we use to scan. So when I see at the top of, it's how we read something without reading it. So when I see something at the top of, of an employee communication that says um, November newsletter, I want to weep into my into my porridge because I feel like that's the only bit they're going to read, <laughs> some people. And that's your prime real estate. So put your key messages into that. Um, and for some people, those key messages will be the things that make them read further. So providing very bite-sized content, which is what I would call scannable. So lots of subheadings and you could just read those subheadings and you've essentially got the message plus a call to action, a link, a something at the end. That's what our brains are wired to receive. And the thing about communication at work is the bar is set by communication outside of work. So part of the reason that many people are frustrated, patients and clinicians with NHS systems, is the gap is so wide between what we use to, to find car insurance quotes or what we use to do our online shop or and so on. So actually, you can get brilliant if you just look at the things that you receive yourself that really work and then apply some of those principles or even do a version of that because our brains are already geared up to understand those formats. So you can borrow some of those formats and use them internally and people will get the sort of semiotics of it. They know what that means just by looking at the shape of it. That's absolutely brilliant advice, Carrie. I'm just thinking, actually, I'm going to have to get you back to talk about communication in the workplace because it, it really goes with the meetings. So it goes hand in hand with yeah. all of that, yeah. doesn't, doesn't yeah. it? So I think one one thing that might be helpful to say is... Meetings are part of an ecosystem of how we communicate and get things done at work. They're not standalone events. They knit together with email, conversations, um, air, or everything on our online systems, all the different ways that we communicate. And that's partly why sometimes people find meetings frustrating is because there's repetition. So consider meetings as part of this whole web of communication and use them for what they're really good for, which is humans talking about uncertainty and using judgment together. I love that. We're going to have to finish. But before we go, what would be your three top tips for running really good meetings at work? So firstly, set people up with the right expectations, make a social contract, whatever that looks like in your practice or your clinic or your hospital, 
so that when people arrive, they're already clear, their defences are down and they are ready to participate. That's one. Two, get people to contribute as early and as equally as possible, probably with a round. Set the tone for the rest of the meeting. And then three, capture the outcomes on that shared canvas with four quadrants. Decided, next, who should we communicate this with and car park. Brilliant. And you're going to share with us the link so people can get that canvas if they want to. So it's fewerfasterbolder.com forward slash resources. And there you'll find a meeting invitation template and the capture canvas. You don't need to sign in, provide your email address. You just hit download and off you go. That is fantastic. That has been so interesting. I've been furiously scribbling notes because we're going to revolutionise the way we do meetings in my organisation as well. I'm I'm going to commit to that now because I can see everything that you've been saying just makes absolute perfect sense. And I've been thinking to my days spent in MDTs and vulnerable patient meetings where we, we didn't get as much done and then we didn't get onto other things that we needed to do and all these things are so, so important. And I know, Carrie, you provide sort of consultancy, you have courses about how to run better meetings. If people want to find out about that, how can they do that? So the best way is on the website. So fewerfasterbolder.com. You can register for the e-course. You could join a cohort of pioneers, so people who are trying to change meetings across a whole organisation. And the other place is to follow me on LinkedIn, where I post not quite every day, but most days, something that is insightful, helpful, practical around facilitating group work, running meetings, changing meeting culture. So some food for thought and some annoyingly obvious practical things as well. Fantastic. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. Carrie, thank you so much for being with us today. Will you come back again at some point? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Before we go, just to let you know that Carrie is offering all You Are Not Frog listeners 25% off the Fewer, Faster, Bolder Meeting Leaders e-course price. This course is three hours of powerful and actionable learning, plus templates, scripts, and a playbook of meeting tools to draw from. You'll learn the psychology of meetings and how to use it so that every meeting you lead is much more valuable in less time. You'll find the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Don't forget... We provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.